you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. And if you don't have a Bible here this morning, there should be one on the pew or in the hymnal rack there. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be in verse 10. And the, the main idea of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, is that God desires that we would follow Him in goodness so that people would see that He is good. And there's a clear difference as we're going to break this down. A lot of times people get confused and thinking, well, you're supposed to be good so that people will think that you're a good person. But for the Christian, the point of doing good is so that people will see that God is the source of all goodness. So Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to kind of camp out there in verse 10. And the Bible says, for we, speaking of believers, those who have been truly saved for real. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that, so here's the purpose, so that we would walk in them. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the Gospel and how it is the power of God unto salvation. We pray that at the end of this message that You would move upon the hearts of the ones here who need to get saved for real, and that they would follow you in truth and repent of their sin and place their faith in you and be born again. And for the ones who need to make a commitment towards you, we ask that you would do the work that only you can do, and that's change hearts. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, I had a friend in seminary, and my friend is one of these guys who works out a lot. You ever had, you know, a friend, I mean, they're, they're big. They work out a lot. They look like they work out a lot. He was a gym rat, really cool guy. Well, he came to me one day and he said, Jeff, my life is kind of falling apart. I said, well, what's up? Long story short, he was a trainer at a gym and he met a girl there and she was not a believer in Christ. Um, they, they fornicated and, and, and she, she got pregnant. Here he is, a student at seminary. And he, here was his, here was his rationale. I said, man, is there anything I can do to, to help you? And that's it a crushing thing. You're at seminary <laughs> preparing to preach the gospel and now you, you, you've got a child out of wedlock. And, and here's what he said. I'll never forget it. He said, Jeff, I was tired of being good. I was tired of being good. He said, I was raised in church. I always went to youth group. I went to church all the time. I studied the Bible. But I just came to the point that I was tired of it. And I wanted to live how I wanted to live. I was never able to forget what he said. I was tired of being good. Why are you good? Why do you come to church? Why do you stay faithful to your husband or wife? Why do you refrain from stealing? Why are you an honest businessman or woman? Why are you a person of integrity? Is the deep desire in your heart doing good so that you will get something for it? Or is doing good maybe the motivation saying, well, I don't want to do bad because if I do bad, then God's going to judge me, right? Like I live my life in fear of if I do these things then therefore God's hammer of judgment will smash down on me. Let, let, let me just be very real before you this morning. 
God has taught me one thing in the Christian life. This has been through godly men. That the true follower of Jesus Christ comes to the place in their life to where they want to follow Jesus not so people will think that they are an awesome follower of Jesus, not so that they can get out of God's judgment, but they follow Jesus and they love Him and they obey Him, not to get out of His judgment, but because they don't want the hand of God's blessing to be removed from them. You see the difference? When you truly love someone, you don't live your life based upon, well, I don't want them to punish me. But you say, I want to live my life getting as close to them as possible because I love them. And what I fear is a separation in our relationship. Those of you who are married, hopefully happily married, you, you, can, you can look at your, at your husband or your wife and you can say, you know what, just knowing you and being with you. Guys, this would probably be the right time to look over and be like, what's up, baby? I mean, you see, this, just, I mean, just being with you, that alone is worth whether, whether I make it big in the industry of economics or whether we get a big house, simply being with you. So with that in mind, what I fear is me doing something Stupid that would drive a wedge in between me and who I love. And when you come to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, if you back up a couple of verses, let's go to verse 8. The Bible says, For by grace you have been saved through what? What's it say, church? Through faith, which is the receiving of what God has done. Receiving the gift of God, which is forgiveness of sins. And then it continues, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You can't earn a gift, can you? I mean, if somebody came to you with a really, really nice gift, let's just say all of a sudden, uh, I don't know, maybe somebody in your life buys you a Harley Davidson and all of our dudes said, amen, right? They buy you this Harley, they bring it to you. I mean, it sounds mean, it looks mean. You can just feel the man vibes coming off of this, this piece of, of perfect art. And then you, you're like, wow, this is for me. They're like, the title is for you. I bought this for you. It is my gift to you because I Apparently, want to help you. They're all, by the way, ladies, the argument always is gas mileage. Right, guys? Right, gas mileage, which we know that you'd never be able to recover the cost. I, I'm breaking man code right now. You'd never be able to cover the cost of buying a new motorcycle for saving like 10 cents per gallon, but let's just be real. Motorcycles are cool. So you, you just look at them and you say, man, you bought this incredible bike for me. Let me give you here. And you pull out your wallet and you're like, dude, I've got a $10 bill. Here you go. I appreciate it. I mean, the giver of that gift would be like, what are you doing? It can never pay $10 for a Harley. In the same way, the Apostle Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is trying to get us to grab a hold of the fact that this is a newsflash for you, quote-unquote, good people out there. You can never pay for what God has done because you are a sinner and Jesus is not. It is a perfect sacrifice done by a perfect person for imperfect people. And that's why it says in verse 9, not as the result of works. 
so that no one may boast. I'm really glad that salvation is by grace through faith. Because can you imagine if God had like this scale system? I mean, can you imagine all of the me monsters, the people who enjoy talking about themselves? Right? We've we've mentioned this before on on Sunday mornings. Um, Like no matter what the subject of the conversation is, they can lasso it and bring it back around to telling everybody in the conversation how awesome they are. You know, it's kind of like they they want to stand up in in class and be like, teacher, I think that we forgot the most important subject, um, me, right here. I mean, can you imagine how terrible a place heaven would be with people being able to tell all the great things that they did to get here? I mean, that would be literally, and I'm not cussing when I say this, that would be hell. Have you ever been in a conversation to where somebody just unloads on you and you're like, where is any of this coming from? That would be heaven for all eternity. That's why Scripture teaches over and over again that we could never be good enough. That's why verse 10, and this is the capsule of our message, for we are His workmanship. Now this is an amazing little picture here um, in the Greek New Testament. I, I looked this up. This is, this is kind of strange for English speakers, but the first word in verse 10 is not for, not we, not are, but His. So like at the very beginning, the Bible is pointing us to God and away from ourselves. Um, let, me, let me just mention something very quickly before we begin. I just want to say this for the seekers who are here. If God has been working upon your heart, if you, I don't know, maybe last week, two weeks, month, you've just you, you've experienced a stirring in your, in your spirit like God is doing a work in me. I'm not really sure what is going on, but I know that God is doing something. Let me read you a quick statement by Jonathan Edwards on people who have been touched by the Lord. They are hearing truth, but they've not yet been saved. Here's what he says. If therefore God's Spirit is now at work with you, you have a precious opportunity. Take heed that you do not by any means let it slip. Check out this next phrase. Incredible. Man's heart is hardened by losing convictions as iron is hardened by being heated and cooled. If you are awakened and afterwards lose your convictions, it will be a harder thing to awaken you again. John chapter 6, verse 44 says that the only time that we can come to God is when He begins to draw us. Like, mean, Jeff, how does God draw us? Not like draw on a piece of paper, like kindergarten drawing, but bringing us to be saved. He does that through the preaching of His Word. We realize that we can't get saved by ourselves, that we are lost and separated from God. For me, here's my story. I was in church. Dude, I I was so in church. Like, I was in church before I was out of my mom. I was was a quasi-piano player, right, in the womb. Like, I was there. I mean, all the time through through the mean nursery workers and everything, VBS. But check it out. When I was a kid, I walked down the aisle, and I signed a card. I prayed the sinner's prayer. But check it out. My teenage years showed that my life did not line up with what the Bible says your life must be in order to have been truly born again. So then I began to investigate, and I was like, you know what? I've never been saved the way the Bible says you've got to be really changed. So I was 19, God changed me for real. But there was a time where I was like, my heart had been 
hardened, but I would hear gospel messages and I would hang on to my pride. And, and, then, and then later on, you know, I would hear like uh, an evangelist. You, you guys remember, you know, evangelists, they're like, you know, they're, they're like yelling and, and screaming. They're like passionate, you know. And I'm like, man, this guy's right. I know that I need to be saved. I know I'm a church member, but I'm not going to go to heaven when I die. I'm going to bust hell wide open. But I would hang on to my false decision and my pride. And over and over again, I praise God. Finally, he broke down my heart and he changed me. Not because of anything that I did, but there are people all over the United States and they come to church, but they've never been saved. Which, by the way, next week we're going to take a whole look. The entire time we're going to talk about hypocrites. So that's a great way to go out and invite people. They're like, hey man, we're going to talk about hypocrites in church. <laughs> You should come. You know, I mean, I don't know how you're going to introduce that. But seriously, we're going to take the whole time, seriously, the whole time, walk through Matthew 7, 15 through 23, and look at what Jesus says about the people who claim to follow him, but their lives do not match up. And let me just say this, and we'll move right on. If you're a member of Rocky Mount Baptist Church, but you rip people off in the community, you're unfaithful to your family, and you have no desire of following God, this is simply a social act for you to get business deals, then I would ask, please, not because we're being rude, not because we're being unloving, but that you would repent, and if you refuse to repent, you would turn in your name, and we'll take you off of the church rolls so that you won't give a bad witness in the community. Because honestly, guys, I've been in churches before, and I'm tired of it because you will have people who come, and people will see the hypocrites who come, they're like, dude, which church do you go to? I'm like, this one. Well, does so-and-so go there? Yeah. Well, man, if you only knew. And they begin to lay out how this person has disgraced the gospel in the community, and people don't take Jesus seriously because of hypocrite. Everybody okay? Thanks, man. At that point, some people say, man, Jeff, Pastor, you're, you're, you're being rough. That's unloving. Let me ask you a question. Will sin damage a person's life? Will sin separate you from God? Does sin bring judgment? Well, if it does, then the most merciful thing we can do is be very honest and straight up and forthright, letting people know what the truth is, and if they don't align themselves with it, God's judgment is there. But if they do align themselves with what God says, then there is mercy there. The most unmerciful thing would be to sugarcoat, right? I mean, let's just get real about this. If you come to church, and I just like give you some, I don't know, like something off of chicken soup for the soul, and you know, we're like all emotional, and we're like, you know, we pull out our cell phones and our lighters, the red next thing, we've got the lighters, and so we're like singing, we are the world, Michael Jackson, we just all leave, and we're so emotional. I mean, honestly, if none of that is, is biblical truth, then you leave, it's the same thing as like going to the doctor, man, and you've got some, like, cancer, and, and the doctor sees it, on the scan, but he doesn't want to upset you because you've got a lunch appointment at Ruby Tuesdays. And he's like, well, I don't really want to interrupt their lunch date, so I'm not going to tell them about the cancer. What would you think of a doctor like that? He's like, well, I don't want them to be mad at me. I mean, I'm the bearer of bad news, so, I mean, 
You're thinking, that guy needs to ruin his job. He never needs to practice medicine. That's terrible. In the same way, and even more so, it will reflect upon me if I don't give you guys the truth and don't water it down. And please understand, the motivation for saying these things that may seem tough and may seem sometimes hurtful is so people will come to repentance. Because let me just be honest with you. If it had not been for men and women of God who had given me the truth and not watered it down, I would still be lost today. Jump in. Verse 10. Notice right there at the beginning, it says, for we are his workmanship. Now this, this word, um, workmanship, literally pictures, you could explain it several ways. It would be like a poem. It would be like a picture on a canvas. It would be like a perfect work of art. It would be like God is, and literally, this is what it means. It means that God made us what we are. Simple. Now, you're like, Jeff, I'm messed up. Now, it's not talking about this. It's talking about after salvation, right? Like, God has created every person. There are a lot of you here today, and you have gone through things in your life that are not necessarily your fault. One example, divorce. Big news flash. If you're a kid, it is not your fault that your parents got divorced. We all okay? It is not your fault. There are some people who have been physically abused, sexually abused. There's some people who have been the victims of crime. There's some people who have been the victims of like lost church members, you know, the people who come, but like then when you turn around, they're mean as a snake. You're like, whoa, where did you? Yeah, all right. People have been hurt in life. This is not speaking that God is the one who engineered all of this jacked up stuff that we see, but that God is the one who saves us. Notice the next phrase, We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. This means that when we get saved for real, it's a new work. It doesn't mean that God comes into your life and He begins to just change stuff in your life. Like, help you out. Like, refurbish. You guys ever see that, right? It's like cheaper, you know, than the regular. It's like refurbished, uh, remanufactured. This is not what it's speaking about at all. It means God creating something within us, a new heart, a desire to know Him that was not there uh, before. Now, you're like, okay, Jeff, so what materials did God have to work with? Well, if you go there back to number verse number one, here's what God had to work with with us before we were saved. Dead in your trespasses and sins. And in verse 2, it says that you walked according to the prince of the power of the air, meaning you were deceived by Satan. And also in verse 3, you all lived in the lust of your flesh. So it's like we're dead to God, we're deceived by Satan, and then we are, it's like we're addicted to our own desires. Now, if you go into the animal kingdom and, and, and you give like an animal something that, that will hurt it, the animal will avoid it, right? But only in human beings do we have problems with stuff that we know that it's killing us. But we do it anyway. Because only human beings have what's called a sin nature. And because of that, let, 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 let me just lay it out. Guys, there are no self-made men. Not one. 
everything, even, even talents, even you being a good worker, being diligent, doing a good job at your work, being industrious, all of that can be traced to God giving you the breath of life so that when you make money and when you are able to build your house and have a family and, and do well for yourself, all of the glory from that should go back to the ultimate source, which is God. And, and notice, guys, really, that's true manhood. Understanding the way that things are and giving God glory for who He is that is worshiping the King who deserves all worship instead of trying to go around and act like we're bad to the bone. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I am a big fan of the Andy Griffith show. Any Andy Griffith fans? All right. Um, I, I like talking to some, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's, a, it's, it's a 50 and up thing. It's always Andy Griffin. It's never Andy Griffith, even though it says Andy Griffith. It's Andy Griffin. But anyway, I, I love Barney because if you notice, Barney is like the quintessential insecure guy, right? Like anytime anybody shows up who's halfway competent, Barney's fumbling over his one bullet, can't seem to get his act together. And then... Once he's bungled the whole thing and Andy comes in and basically patches it all together, Barney will stand back and, you know, act like he did the good work. And as I read Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. That reminds me of Barney and that we're the same way. Sometimes when God blesses us, we just like we sit back and we're like, yeah, that's what's up. We know what's going on. This right here is going on. Instead of saying, God, thank you for my family. Thank you for my job. And giving honor and glory back to God. I mean, it's insane. A lot of times this happens so often. People want to want to point to their own goodness when you ask them the question, where are you going to go when you die? You say, well, you know, heaven or hell, or I'm not sure yet, I'm still working on it. And you say, well, why would you go to heaven if indeed you think that you would? You know, so many people, they say, well, I'm a good person. Do you realize how insane that is? How such a Hello McFly moment that is? I mean, honestly, to sit there and focus upon what we think is good in our life instead of saying, I cannot... Well, you okay? I just punched the microphone. I don't know if I've ever done that before. I guess we're still working. We're good, Ben. Okay, I'll try to calm myself. That would be the same as, I love this illustration by John Piper. Comparing and looking at ourselves in the face of what God has done would be like standing on top of the Alps. I've never been to the Alps, but I've seen pictures and heard stories. And maybe, you know, you see Heidi or Yodel. I'm not really, I, that, would be, that would be awesome. Wouldn't that be great to take a mission trip over there and like Yodel at the top, but then don't tell them that we're from the church because then nobody would ever come because that would be weird. Like Virginia Rednecks Yodeling. Anyway, moving on. So like you're standing on top of the Alps and then you lock yourself into a little room with nothing but mirrors. And you're like, wow, wow, wow. And you admire yourself if you could only unlock the door and look in comparison to what you are compared to that, we would never say in the same sentence, Jesus Christ is a great Savior and I am a good person. Let me just be very frank and honest with you. 
you compared to God, I compared to God's standard, are not good people. Sure, you could find somebody who's an axe murderer, but I mean, seriously, that's the way the logic goes. I mean, honestly, like when you talk to people about getting saved, they're like, well, I ain't molested no kids. Well, let's all stand up and applaud for you, sir. I mean, what? Is that like the standard of goodness that you don't kill people with axes or you're not involved in terrorism or don't molest children? I mean, that is insane logic. It doesn't even add up at all. But I'm telling you guys, when the Bible says that we are His workmanship, that He is the one who creates in us a new heart, that He's the one who changes us from the inside out, it's because of that that we can sit back and look at Jesus instead of look at ourselves. And then that phrase there um, in verse 10, created in Christ Jesus, this is not a refurbished product, but a brand new creation. In the Old Testament, this is for for our thinkers, there's a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible and it's called the Septuagint. Or if you're from Mississippi, the Septuagint. I had a professor who, Septuagint, he couldn't pronounce, anyway. um, And that, in that version, in that translation of the Hebrew into the Greek, you have the same word, same concept for created that occurs over in Psalm 92.4. Here it is. For you, O Lord have made me glad by what you have done. I will sing for joy at the work of your hands. It refers to something that only God has done. The only other place that this word is used in the New Testament is Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Here it is. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. That means that any old Joe, any redneck, any person from the city or the country, high IQ, low IQ, can look at the sunset and the sunrise and say, wow, this had to have been made by an intelligent designer. Some people think that getting saved is, and I've heard it put this way, well, the good Lord helps me along. Well, God is good, and He will help you. But God does not come into your life to simply give you a little good game. God comes into your life to change your heart and give you new desires. And as we said a couple of weeks ago, church is not coming to sit there like one time a week, you know, and you got the guy there and he's like doing this, right? Like once it gets later in the service and he's looking at his watch, just can't wait to get out and cannot stand to get in even though like wife or husband tells him to come back next week. Listen, church is not about you trying to make you do what you have no desire to do. If you have no desire for the things of God, If you don't have a desire to serve Him, you're not saved. Okay, That's not what I said. It goes back to, look at verse 5. But God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. So if God has not made you alive, then that means you don't really have the desire for the things of God. But if God has truly changed your heart, you will have a passion. You might not, you know, get loud. You might not get crazy. There's uh, one charismatic guy I know, like, you know, at a um, 
restaurant, and he's just sitting there. He's, he's just like looking down, like breathing, you know? And it's always kind of disturbing if somebody's just looking like at the table and they're just breathing in. And, you know, what are you doing? He's like, I'm getting high on Jesus. And I'm like, all right, you know, okay, I guess, cool. You know, I'm, I mean, it might not be that's the way you express it, but you will have a desire to learn about God because God has changed your mind to see that if God has created the world, Romans chapter 1, verse 20, then God, if God has created this whole thing, then God can create in me something that I can't create in myself. And that's the gospel. That is the gospel. If you, if like God has shown you recently, Man, I can't do this. You have just arrived. Realizing that you cannot change your own heart is the first step of the gospel. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes in and he says, I can. So if you think, if you're still hung up on the good works thing, and you say, well, I've got to be good in addition to serving and believing in Jesus. Well, let me ask you a question. Um, what exactly was it about Jesus' life and terrible death that needs your help in order for it to be, quote, all good. I mean, what, what did Jesus not do that we need to come in and fill in the blank for him? Have you ever thought about that before? I mean, to actually step back and analyze the scenario, and if Jesus lived a perfect life and he died a perfect death, then what could I ever do to help him out? And if Jesus needs me to help him out, well, let me just be, hey guys, Jesus got big problems. If he needs us to come, I mean, if Jesus is like, come on guys, I need some teammates. He's not really worthy of worship. He's not really King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's not really powerful enough to even get his own act together. I mean, if he's the one, if Jesus needs a group therapy session with us, he's going to come out messed up. But that's not what Scripture presents. The Scripture presents it's that we are the ones who are separate from God. And Jesus came to do, check it out, good people, what you could never do. And that's the Gospel. That's how you get saved. You admit that you cannot change yourself and you give your life to Christ. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Like Jeff, well, man, why am I here? We'll go to the next phrase. Verse 10. First of all, we are his workmanship. That would answer the question, what am I? You are an incredible work of God. Number two, in verse 10, you are created in Christ Jesus. That refers to where you came from. And then it says in verse 10, for good works. John Phillips, the great commentator, said this. This is amazing. Good works are part of God's plan. They are not the price of salvation, but the proof of salvation. The difference now, this, at this point, there's always the person who will be like, well, Jeff, man, I was reading my Bible, and I'm kind of stumped. I read Romans chapter 3, verse 28, and Paul says, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the law. And then I read James in chapter 2, 
verse 24, and he says, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. So like, man, I got a problem. Either one of two things. The Bible has an internal contradiction that cannot be resolved or I'm misunderstanding it. You guys ready to get in deep? Okay, ready? Alright, I'm going to get in deep. Does the Bible conflict with itself between Paul and James? Well, they're addressing different things. Paul focuses on the source of salvation being through faith alone. Whereas James identifies a certain type of faith. Let me read to you James' argument. This is in James chapter 2, verse 14 and on. He says, What use is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Our case and scenario, the person who says, Pastor Jeff, I've been saved, I've been baptized, but I don't serve God. This is for you. Number 15, verse 15. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? He's like, look, man, if you claim to follow Jesus who gave people physical help, but you don't give people what Jesus gave people, you are a liar. In verse 17, even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead. So the person who claims to say, I have faith in Christ, but there's no demonstration of what that faith does, James is saying you don't have real faith. But then in verse 18, but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. I love this verse, verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. So if you're here and you say, well, I believe in God, well, good job. You're an upstanding demon. Y'all okay? Aren't you glad you came to church today? Verse 20. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? And this word can be translated demonstrated, not necessarily the strict definition of justified, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. As a result of the works, his faith was completed. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Verse 24, You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Verse 26 For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Like, Jeff, man, what is going on? Here's what was going on. James had a group of people, and they claimed to be saved, but there was no demonstration of their faith. What he's saying, and he uses the illustration of Abraham. All right, let's go back. Abraham, you have a son. You have one son. Your wife had your son when she was in his 90s. The Bible says that she was considered to be a beautiful woman. Ladies, I would say that's doing really good when you have biblical commentary that you have got it going on in your 90s. It's an amazing picture. And God opened her womb and gave her this one son. And then God's like, all right, cool. Abraham, I gave you your one son. This is humanly impossible. People in their 90s, hundreds range. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to build an altar and I want you to Put him there, and I want you to take a knife and, and, and I want you to kill your son. What? 
Like, man, I know I should not have gone to Taco Bell that late. I mean, God, is that really you? What is going on? God said, I want you to sacrifice your only son. Let me just be very clear as to explain away any association that people may have in saying, well, that means that Abraham believed in pagan religions. Human sacrifices. You've got the Aztecs, and then you've got Abraham. All in the blood and guts together. No. Here's the reason why Abraham followed what God said. He believed that God was powerful enough to raise his son from the dead. God had saved Abraham out of pagan religions. So he knew that God was different than the false gods who demanded human blood. But he had that much faith. So when James gives the illustration here, he is focusing on Genesis chapter 22. And if you go back a few chapters, Abraham believed God in chapter 15. But in chapter 22, he acted on that belief to demonstrate that he actually believed in the first place. And what James is saying is that if you truly believe in God, if you've truly been saved, there will be a demonstration of that faith. Because a faith that does not have action is a dead faith. Whereas Paul is concerned simply with Genesis 15 and the fact that you cannot get saved. It's kind of like this. With Paul, imagine the pulpit as getting saved. Paul is pointing from here up till this point saying that you cannot get to here by doing good works. Whereas James is over on this side and he's looking back at the point of salvation and saying because you've been saved, there's got to be works that follow to show and demonstrate that this was real. We all on the same page? That makes sense? Paul is concerned with grace through faith and you can't get there by works and in the same vein of thought James is concerned with what follows afterwards then finally the last phrase in verse 10 created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them there's a belief and we throw in a lot of big words this morning it's a, it's a uh, theological position called open theism, which means God does not know the future. What some theologians believe, that God does not know what's going to happen one day to the next. He can, he can theorize, but he doesn't really know. Well, this verse, this phrase, blows that out of the water because it says that God prepared our life before we lived it. Now, now in this sense, it's not saying that God dictates and causes you to do that which is bad. It means that God has prepared an incredible road that if we walk along that, we will give demonstration that He is real. Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus talked about a city on a hill and you don't light a candle and put it underneath a bushel, but you put it on a candlestick, right? I mean... If you've got a Q-beam and you, and you put that underneath your ball cap, you're, you're dumb, right? That doesn't follow. It doesn't make sense. Because in the same way, let your light so shine that people may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Here is what that simply means. That the world says that when people talk bad about you, you talk about them bad twice 
over. And if somebody is angry at you, you respond in anger. If someone begins to sue you, you sue them back. And if they try to sue your, your, you know, your, your pants off, you, you try to sue everything that they have. But the gospel comes in. And Jesus says if somebody sues you, don't only give them their, your coat, but give them your shirt, your cloak also. Jesus says that when people may talk bad about you and persecute you and despitefully use you, he said to pray for them. I mean, you can imagine the people then being like, did he just, what? Did he just say what I thought he said? To pray for people? Notice what the phrase says, so that we should walk in these good works. And at this point you say, man, Jeff, I can't do that. It's impossible for me to forgive those people. It's impossible for me not to respond in anger. Well, good job. That's the gospel. The gospel is God giving us the ability to do what we can't do on our own. Went to a youth camp this past summer, and there's a, a kid, seventh grade. He was a he's a, he's going to grow to be a man's man. He's one of these tough. You know, you can tell kids, and they're like they're 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 tough kids. We had a share time, and this kid, man, he stood up. He's almost as tall as me in seventh grade. And he just began, man, this is a very manly little dude. This is not, you know, Mr. Jeff, I can't, I mean, not one, I mean, this is a dude's dude. He stands up and he says, man, I just want to tell you guys what God has done in my family. And he began to break down, man. He talked about how his mom would have to bring him and the family to live with some other family member because his dad's drinking got too out of hand and it was, it was hell. And then he said, but then my dad got saved. This is not too long ago. And now he's praying with our family and reading the Bible with our family. And now he's taking us to church. And it's just so amazing that I don't have to be afraid to go home anymore. That's the gospel. That's the change that Jesus brings. That is the good works that we walk in so that God will be glorified. You see, man, Jeff, what kind of works? Well, if we had time, we'd go over to Matthew 25 and break it down in detail. But in a synopsis, here it is. Jesus said, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was in prison, and you came to see me. I was sick, and you visited me. And you say, well, Jesus, I mean... How does this work? And he said, inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, my brothers, you've done it unto me. That means when you look, let me just be very honest, little black kids in the ghetto, it's Jesus. The people that some people I've heard call trailer trash, don't ever say that. Jesus. People over in other countries, these kids growing up in slums, that's Jesus. The people who can't do anything for you in return, Jesus says, those are my representatives. And listen, how you treat them shows how you love me. You claim to be a follower of Jesus. Do you love the people who Jesus said are His representatives? We'll close with this. A couple years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Central Asia and we built a house of prayer. They don't call it a church there because it's primarily a Muslim community. A Muslim would never go to a church, but they would go to a house of prayer. And one day, it was, the, the, the sun was going down and, and, and we saw this, this group of little kids and 
They were playing with some of the building materials, the, the scraps of wood, and, and like they were, they were looking up at this, at this house of prayer, and, and they were making a mini one. You know, they, they had it all put together. Isn't it amazing? Like little kids, you know, adults, they always have to have, okay, let me day planner. This. Little kids, you just give them like a stick and they're fine. You know, I mean, and so they begin to build a little mini model of the house of prayer that was going up. And I looked at that. I've got a picture. It's on, it's on Facebook. As I looked at those little kids, I had a little Russian kid with, with blonde hair and blue eyes and a little Cossack girl, dark hair, dark eyes, dark skin. I looked at those kids, I said, man, that is a picture of heaven. The fact that we, in our lives now, not because we're good, but because He is good, we model, we build our little scale model, if you will, of God. And through our life, it says at the end of verse 10, God prepared these things. God prepares ministries for you so that you would walk. As I looked at those kids building that model, I said, man, that's what the Christian life is. Us looking at God, saying, God, how can I model my life after you so that people will see not that I am good, but that God is good. And if God can use me to bring people to get saved, then I will die a happy man. 